welcome to the Frogger 45. Uh, we have a special guest from the wintry north, <laughs> Mr. Sutton. Hello. Uh, <laughs> you, are, you are infamous in our world. Uh, you're, <laughs> you're last on our dial, but number one in our hearts. Uh, <laughs> could you let us know uh, your claim to fame slash sure. identity uh, as people may know you from such films as? Sure, you may know me from such films as uh, TV Sutton on Twitter, Tim Sutton on GitHub. I have a blog that I post to occasionally at macops.ca. And that's pretty much it. I started speaking at some conferences in the last year or so, going to those whenever I can. But uh, but yeah, that's basically it. Uh, I'm going to let him stay in, in the background until I get past one quick piece of follow-up to get Mr. Michael Lynn, the namesake of this here podcast, going on a topic that was from a little bit ago, uh, and he's going to have to <laughs> change the names to protect the guilty. But there are a class of apps that make life a little bit more convenient. Give me convenience or give me death, as Cello Biafra once said. The apps I'm thinking of uh, are ways that you can use Bluetooth to unlock a Mac or send things that interact with the security of your systems. Uh, so, Michael Lynn, you actually did do some spelunking, did you not, not so long ago? Yeah, there was one that came up in sort of the community bullseye because it, it was going on sale. A lot of people were interested in it, and I took a particular interest in it because of the fact that at the time, I was uh, following the work of a very cool Mac admin community member, Tom Bergen, who had been working on an authentication plugin for OS X, which uh, basically allows you to, in an Apple-approved manner, hook into and change what happens at the login window. You can add new additional authentication mechanisms. At the time, he was working on adding two things. There was some work he was doing where he was adding smart card support for basically dual two-factor authentication where there was no actual password for the user. It was smart card plus like a security token with a like a one-time password or whatever. And then the other one he was working on was capturing the user password at a login so you could use it with File Vault 2 escrow. Because normally, like if you're trying to enroll a user into File Vault 2 and add them as a person who can unlock your machine, you need to have the user enter their own password. Well, how do you do that for machines that are out in the field already? And in this particular instance, he basically wrote an authentication module that allows you to, when the user logs in, essentially reuse that password and self-enroll into the file vault uh, unlock. The first way that Tom helped me, though, was with the file vault 2 auth plugin that specifically adds users to file vault. I don't have anybody except domain users logging into the systems under my management. So they're the only ones that are going to get on the system. They're really all supposed to be allowed to unlock File Vault. And yes, the EFI window can get pretty messy on a shared machine that I have people doing rounds and between one group and different people take it at different times. But that really solved a big problem for me. And that is LCAP compliant now. They're joining forces, Graham Gilbert and Tom Bergen and the fact that Crypt2 will now provide all of this functionality 
and you just provide it with the keys that you want in its configuration of, do you want to turn these knobs on or off? And I'm not only saying this to set them up the bomb so that it puts pressure on them <laughs> to finish the Valval 2 off plugin parts. Um, it is their intended goal. Uh, right now, it's the uh, initiation of the encryption, and you can still use both plugins side by side. Uh, they interact with no problems. You don't want to put pressure on them, but it, in their own defense, both of them, their schedules have changed a little bit, considering that Tom Bergen <laughs> just went over to Google Mac Ops and Graham is starting over at Airbnb. So uh, their schedules might be, they, Come on. Might, they might have a little bit on their plates at the moment. Come on, these in, these companies that make the internets <laughs> that have really great chefs, come on. And, I, and, I, I, and, I really feel bad for them. And, and, a, and a big hearty congratulations to both of them, honestly. Uh, <laughs> Golf uh, clap. Uh, yes, very definitely. <laughs> Uh, seriously good score on, on the parts of both of those companies for grabbing those guys, very talented people. Yep. So I, I, I was in the middle of watching Tom do this and reading what he was writing. And then this thing came up, it was like, oh, these, these cool new category of apps that are out there that allow people to either via proximity, you've got like a, your phone on you and it's paired to your Mac and you tap on it, or there's all these different varieties of these apps. And they would allow your Mac to go from a locked state to an unlocked state. And I was like, wow, are these guys doing authentication modules too? How are they doing this? And so I, um, I downloaded one that was available and started pulling it apart in, uh, my favorite decompiler hopper, uh, for the Mac. And I got really sad when I started pulling it apart. <laughs> Because the horror, yeah, the horror. Uh, it wasn't actually doing it like in an Apple approved fashion. Essentially, what it was doing was the helper application that you installed on your Mac was emulating a USB keyboard and typing your password for you at the login screen, which it stored securely, maybe. Yeah, so <laughs> doesn't really work that way. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't reinventing how to store things in a keychain. That's the thing, right? So that most of these apps promise you the concept of you don't need to type your password into the computer. It'll just unlock when you do whatever. If they're typing your password for you, but you didn't type it into your device, obviously the app knows the password somehow. So how is this working? And so in this particular example, they were storing it in your keychain, which uh, they were trying to hide the fact that they were storing it in your keychain by encrypting it with a password. So it just looked like like security garbage. They even gave it a really like uh, security data. I can't remember the name of the, the keychain key, but it, it gave no indicators whatsoever that this is a stored copy of your password. It, it tried to look like it was some configuration information or something like that. Um, but the problem with it is that the the way that they were storing it was a it was a, an encryption key that was constant. It wasn't uniquely generated for your computer. So on all computers that use this product, if you saw a a keychain key entry that had this very specific name on it, and you knew that constant secret password, you could dump the user's actual password very easily because it's reversible, right? Like it's got to be able to undo the encryption to then type your password. And so I, yeah, after I saw how it was doing that, I kind of gave it a pass and, and uh, said, nope, I don't really need one of these really nifty, cool products. 
Um, I mean, in theory, right, your, your login keychain is locked when you're, and that was the other thing too, is that your login keychain locks when you go back to the login screen. So they're probably, I mean, in theory, it's probably secure in that, in that the application just reads it from the keychain when you log in one time and the application launches and then it just holds it in memory or whatever after that point. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but I, I don't know. I don't really like the concept of essentially there being a place with my password stored in easily reversible plain text, basically somewhere on my machine, even if it is in my keychain. It just gave me kind of the heebie-jeebies. Uh, I was very sad when when I didn't find out that they had gone the extra step and and actually done it like the cool way with like <laughs> a, an authentication plugin or something like that. So the the Bluetooth signal being sent, I mean, nobody says, you know, what's a really great way to transmit stuff securely? Oh, Bluetooth, let's choose that. Uh, and or stable, just because like security can kind of equal stability in certain conversations if you're trying to sell it to people who otherwise wouldn't want to lose convenience. You think, well, actually, this will make your machine more stable if you will allow me to make it more secure. But the issue kind of can be that if they're seeing the traffic from that app to your device and know what is a constant across how the app communicates, someone could essentially send a Bluetooth signal that would tell your computer to unlock? Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. The, pe- the secret isn't stored on your iOS device or whatever. It's stored on the computer. And there's just some sort of I trust you message that goes across. It's probably just Bluetooth pairing shows up honestly a lot of them are probably just the, the bluetooth device with the right mac id has shown up in the vicinity of your machine and i'm assuming that the pairing mechanisms are probably secure but it, it's yeah the secret is not something you're holding on to you mm. it's the secret is still on your machine right and and um i don't know it, it just it just gave me all sorts of wrong feelings about about what the, uh, and the fact that it was doing it as a usb like typing your password type thing like i don't know it, it, yeah why do you need to get all well i, I hope that I, get all simplistic like that I, I hope the programmer is like fast enough or whatever like like if it's just typing the keys like i hope it notices the login window goes away and someone doesn't happen to have like a text application that has opened at the time <laughs> and it happens to capture all your password in plain text or whatever so and then just let it sit there right exactly yeah so it, it just eh. now that your screen's unlocked exactly yeah so it's cool that they were on sale and and in fact one of them i saw was on sale recently for like 99 cents and another one was just free for the next three days or something like that there's this whole family of these products out there but i've yet to see one of them do it in like the way that i would hope it to do it like an actually like secure hardware authentication mechanism via plugin module type thing but after after i pulled it apart and was sharing these details on the mac admin slack there were a lot of people that were like "Ooh, um pass <laughs> no thanks thanks but no thanks yeah but it has a watch I always <laughs> but i can uh, you, you don't know how many machines i unlock on a regular basis so i, I do unlock <laughs> all and, and it's great it's trust me for security i wrote a book on it Anyway, <laughs> good show, clapping emoji. Okay, so I see this conversation happen in Slack multiple times a week where somebody says, oh, I shouldn't just use defaults right to configure this? Or, hey, wait, that's not in like the profile manager thing, is it? 
and we say, okay, no, it isn't, and yes, you should use profiles for this, there's this project you should go to Tim Sutton's GitHub for called MCX to Profile. Uh, what I was most curious about was what was kind of the impetus or what was going on around the time that you decided to develop that particular project, Okay, Tim. Apple shipped Lion in mid-2011. Prior to Lion, the way that people would manage preferences on OS X, if they weren't scripting defaults right, if they needed to find ways to to manage, uh, to be able to set defaults for different users and applications, probably most of the time in conjunction with Open Directory using Workgroup Manager, they would use this thing called MCX, which is Apple's provided mechanism for uh, managing preferences. And there was a functionality whereby you could layer different levels of these of this managements. You could have a base set of defaults for, that could be something that you apply to all machines, and then you could apply a subset of different defaults that might override those base ones that could be applied for a specific group of machines or even a specific user. And that was all well and good, but then when Apple released Lion, what they what they released is they, they actually completely overhauled the server component, and server actually went away as a complete separate build of the OS, and it became just a standalone app. And so that came out, and that was in the summer of 2011, and along with server app came Profile Manager. And so Profile Manager, it was, I think, the first time that admins saw, got sort of the idea of what Apple's vision for managing Apple devices would look like and what it still sort of has led to up to this point, which is that you're not talking about computers and machines anymore, you're talking about devices. And so a lot of the Profile Manager app looked like it was sort of geared towards managing iOS as well. I don't remember, I don't think at that time, you know, MDM as a sort of a term was just starting to become hitting the, the surface, as you'd say. But um, anyway, so when people started actually digging into Profile Manager and looking at what it was really sort of doing under the hood, if you actually look at, uh, so part of Profile Manager's functionality is called device management. And when you actually would go into server app and you would turn on device management, that would actually go and create an open directory master behind the scenes. Um, and then it would also create uh, certificates and it would create enrollment profiles and it would create this little web application, um, set it up and be able to have devices start to enroll in it to with with MDM. But then, so you would you would set all this up and then you would look at it uh, at the device management part and you would look at the at the you would look at the interface and you would see that a lot of the parts of the interface for managing the, the actual settings on the on the devices. You'd look at the OS 10 section and you'd see that if you if you had already been familiar with um, with Workgroup Manager for managing settings on, on OS X, a lot of the areas looked exactly the same in terms of the UI. So you'd have like a section for managing the dock, you'd have a section for managing um, the preference panes, the login window, you'd have all these, these uh, just basically toggles and uh, things that you could switch on or off, uh, settings for I mean, it was really like a like a copy and paste directly from Workgroup Manager over. And so you'd look at this and you'd be like, okay, is this like Workgroup Manager was still kind of shipping with Lion, but it wasn't, it was a still a separate application. Um, and you'd be looking at server app and you're like, okay, well, this is obvious. Like Workgroup Manager, it was pretty clear that that was going to be going away and that Profile Manager was going to be the, the new thing. So, but then people would try to import. So one of the things you would do with Worker Manager is there were all the, 
sort of stock settings that Apple would give you for managing Finder or the Dock or uh, network shares or what have you. But then people would also drag in plists or applications for other things. So they would want to have a setting for, say, presetting some some things for Microsoft Office or really any application that that uses standard um, OS ten defaults um, or preferences. You could copy in a plist from some application, and it would sort of populate all these settings. And you could you could funnel out the ones that you actually wanted to manage, and you could say, okay, for all these applications, I want to have a default to. Um, to you know, not check for updates, or if you're managing a lab, you would have things like maybe you'd set some applications to handle displaying a screen differently, or not having uh, things like when you, a user plugs in an external drive, don't offer to set up Time Machine. Some kinds of things that would be useful for labs or managed environments. Um, so people people would add those settings from applications. Um, and be able to manage them using MCX. But then with Profile Manager, you still had this interface where you could add these other applications, but the you would go to apply the settings, and they wouldn't always actually take effect. And people would take a look, um, try to figure out what's going on, and see like like you could you could create these these things that they called configuration profiles. That was what Profile Manager used, and what it still uses, and what that's what we use on on iOS devices as well. Um, but you could create a configuration profile and you could download it and you would you could open it up and it was you could look at it and see that it was actually just a p list that contained a bunch of this sort of payload information and identifiers and um, and if you'd look more closely at it you'd see inside a payload you would see all these other nested p lists you'd get this big blob of configuration and you're trying to figure out like one of the advantages of of worker manager and mcx is that you could be very granular about how you wanted to manage those settings. So, like um, a thing that Greg Nagel sort of championed people using, if they didn't want to use Open Directory or, or LDAP as a as like a backend for the preferences, is say like you can set up this pretty lightweight system where you just drop a few files on the on the on the drive on the OS um, and do this thing called local MCX, and that actually became a Apple supported mechanism for doing this. And so you could you could granularly apply. A setting and say, okay, for this application, I want it to default to these settings. Turn this thing on or off, or configure it differently, um, just by copying a file to the to this to the system. But with profiles, you get this one big blob of all these different settings all in one. So you create a configuration profile that says you want to manage the Finder. Um, but if you really only just want to turn one or two things on or off, you couldn't. Apple didn't really provide a mechanism to do that. You you would configure it with all the settings set all to a specific uh, set a, sp- a specific way, and you would you would download this configuration profile and apply that. But like I was saying earlier, if you actually look at it, you see this the contents of the payload is just this XML structure, a, a plist structure. And so Greg was, I think, a few of us were looking, and we were in the IRC, the OS 10 server IRC, uh, just trying to kind of figure out what was going on there, and, and Greg. When he actually when he took a look at it, and he said, "Well, that the contents of that plist just looks exactly like MCX. Like he um, he literally wrote the book on MCX with Ed Martek, so he's pretty familiar with with what it looks like. And so one thing he noticed is that the preferences that these profiles from Profile Manager contained are all set to a level that's called I think it's they they call it forced um, or the equivalent to saying you're going to manage these settings always. And so that would actually cause the application, in some cases, to 
not allow the user to change the default or to change that setting at all. Like you'd open the finder and and you wouldn't be able to turn on whatever show connected servers on desktop. It would actually be grayed out. And there's part of the API actually lets developers check, hey, is this setting forced? If it is, then I can choose to gray it out or I can show in bright red text, this setting is managed by your system administrator <laughs> or any any number of things. So friendly. Um, so, but what Greg noticed, he said, okay, well, if it looks exactly the same as MCX, then why don't you just try changing that word forced to set once, which is what uh, Workgroup Manager would set in the uh, with M with the old MCX system. If you wanted to say um, manage something as a default for users, but allow them to change it, um, then you could manage it at this different at this different level. And so, just by you would go through this process of opening Profile Manager, you'd go and you'd import some some uh, plist from an application. You download the XML. I think now if you download the, the profile, it doesn't contain any line breaks, so you just get a single <laughs> gigantic line. Uh, it didn't used to do that even, but I guess they changed their... It's still valid. It's still valid XML, their, right? <laughs> it's still totally valid, but you open it up and you're like, you want to edit it. And yeah, so there's a few manual steps that would be involved. You'd have to go and, and, be, and plus you'd have to turn on, you'd have to set up a VM with Profile Manager. That was sort of, you know, for me, that was a pain. Um, you had to remember to put two CPUs on your VM, otherwise it would freeze in VMware Fusion when it was creating the Open Directory Master and all this stuff. But anyway, these profiles are just, they're just plain text plist files. You can generate them using any kind of tool you want. Um, and so I started to think like, well, if it's possible to modify these profiles so that you can get all the functionality of MCX, and this is actually even better than using MCX, uh, using the local MCX system, because that required you to set up some extra sort of infrastructure around how you would copy these files onto the onto the disk. You would sort of create this local computer node, and you'd have to do some extra plumbing around all that. So a, a profile, you just give it to somebody; they can double-click install it, or you can you can install it via the command line with with just one command. So um, so it actually seemed like a a better alternative than um, trying to get MCX to continue working, and obviously profiles were going to be the way of the future. So, so I and I just started learning Python over the last probably year or so, just mostly just looking at other code. But and I started using Python sort of just as a way to replace Bash scripts in the stuff that I was doing at my day job. So yeah, in the summer, I guess of t sometime in 2012. I just started working on this general purpose utility to just take it because it was really it's fairly simple. All you're doing is taking a plist and copying it verbatim into another plist, uh, and then you just add a bunch of stuff around it. And I would just look at the at the output of what Profile Manager outputs, and I'd see okay, like it's going to nest things in, in such a way. Or if you want to if you want to emulate the setting in Workgroup Manager to say, hey, manage this default for some app. Uh, you know, not in this, uh, not with this forced mechanism. But if you need it to actually work, uh, I know. I mean, the forced thing works in a lot of cases, but it also doesn't for for a bunch of things. So and or causes up, a domain collision of I'm going to manage all of the keys, no matter whether or not you specified right. them, and then the app becomes semi inoperable. Yeah. T. <laughs> 
I learned that back in 10 7 days with like terminal uh I wanted to turn on option as meta key and have novel be the default and so I was like yeah I don't need all the rest of this stuff I'll just strip it out and then yeah then that entire yeah. that was the only uh terminal profile available which was a feature well that's the, that's the secret though right is that you're kind of at the mercy of the application developer to have properly implemented support for preferences well, there was Manifest uh, Destiny. If we can take it back to, you mentioned local MCX as a Apple endorsed thing at, at local MCX, the branding for nesting in the local node, uh, a a its own domain essentially. Uh, the same person who <laughs> was in the video for that yes. Apple feature uh, is someone who made a project on Google Code. Now we're dating ourselves, uh, called Manifest Destiny. If anyone remembers. Uh, and that was a way to kind of say, uh, you, you also mentioned about in Workgroup Manager, you would import straight plist, but there was also the remote management, like you would drag and drop the binary yes. from inside of System Library Core Services remote management. I know, yeah. Uh, and therefore you would get all of these like, oh, you mean the rest of the things I want to manage? Yeah. Oh, thank you. It's basically like an Easter egg. Right. <laughs> you just, you go, <laughs> the Easter egg for Mac admins, right. Yeah. If you want to manage your iWork 06 or whatever, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. yeah. If I could throw in some, or your or your QuickTime Pro, pro uh, registration registration key. key. <laughs> some people are still freaking using. I still use as we're if still I'm, using it. If uh, <laughs> <laughs> if I could come clean uh, through Yosemite, I was using local MCX because it was not broken. No, that's it. Probably is still not broken. And yeah, that was one of those things where like it did if you could put in the time to keep to keep up on what had changed, like I think with sandboxing, there were some extra workarounds you had to do just to just to like manipulate the files. Just to modify it, right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just one or two more other things the to clean up uh before it then becomes a note. Uh Enterprise Mac Managed Preferences yes. was the book by Greg Nagel and uh, Ed Marzak if if folks are gonna open up the vault, which is actually still a really good resource. Definitely, like, it's still even though it's dated, a lot of what uh, it talks about with defaults, that's all totally valid. MCX import uh, the uh, the description about those things kind of help you interact with the system that is under management. Um, the compositor was the like my favorite word for a really long time. When you're talking about layering those profiles, now we're really right. dating ourselves. All of these people are gonna find this so boring. Anyway. <laughs> just like as a, a the name of a tool and as of what you were looking for of okay when did all of the, when did the uh, highway crash happen of okay something's garbled between managed preferences it would you see oh I'm compositing these preferences down right all right now I know uh, when things actually kicked in um, I would kind of say that the the thing about profile manager's interface versus uh, workgroup manager was workgroup manager had kind of like a sysprefs interface. It had like those layout of the pref panes. Yeah. And profile manager kind of has a IPCU canonical interface of right. you have this sidebar on the left, it's nice pretty icons of the sections and a little bit of descriptive text for you. And then it's it feels a little bit more approachable than you're entering a modal view in workgroup manager of clicking on a sysprefs pane type thing. And like a profile manager existed after they published a spec almost of if you're going to do iOS management, here's what you want to kind of set up in the way of a server and profiles will come down and here's how you, here's which end you blow in yep. 
future MDM providers. Uh, and there was a, a talk at Lisa to this person that like just made a server that you could download some XML from. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Profile Manager really kind of took that IPCU mentality to a, a web app for us to kind of see where their puck was going from an implementation standpoint. Yep. But pardon me. And that's still something that that's what you just talked about with the compositor. That's sort of this. That's the one drawback that I still find in in some cases with profiles is that no layering. A lot of the kinds of systems that I end up needing to actually do more defaults management on are like they're managed systems that have many users but very specific needs, and so they'll even be needing to be able to change certain settings like. Um, how long before the machine will try to auto log off? Mm-hmm. Some settings like that are stored in a global preferences domain. And if you also wanted to manage something else in the global preferences domain, you sort of need to take care of that all in one in a single profile. You can't really, if you take two different profiles that have a data for the same preferences domain, you want to, even if the keys don't conflict, you say you want to manage, one setting and another setting just happens to live in the same, or for example, com.apple.login window. Um, you know. Like, it's kind of important, right? <laughs> um, but so, like, there's there's even some tools where, like, I, the managed Mac puppet module um, by Brian Worsing, that whole system is, like, that's a more, that's meant to be used by by puppet, obviously, and it, but it does the it assembles a profile dynamically based on what it's pulling in via Puppet and Hira. So the only real way, if you really want to do this sort of old school um, nested layers of of configuration for for your machines, making a profile dynamically is really the only way to to do it. If if you want to be use profiles as the as the way to manage it. And and the uh, so, the recently committed to core chef counterpart for that is the uh, OS 10 right. profile resource right right which can dynamically do the same yep. thing yeah so you kind of need to get all your dogs in the gate before the race can start that okay your profile wants to look like this afterwards right get them in now because we're about to composite something and and put it together right i just for for me for my money uh, for how customer facing profiles are i just can't deal with the fact that they're not signed in those implementations uh, I'm uh, Brian Worsing before he <laughs> he is now in a different place. Before he left uh, the Mac, <laughs> the Mac having community. He's still around. He's he's gonna get drinks with us in Vancouver. No, no, I know, but I don't. But I don't. Well, there's. Actually, I'm not sure how much he'll be working on the Mac managed puppet module though. There's from now on. And and if you're not gonna go through like a configuration management system like Puppet or Chef or something like that, there's actually that new tool from um, Eric Berglund. Uh, which is now up on GitHub uh, called Profile Creator. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, github.com slash profile creator slash profile creator. Uh, <laughs> and it's a basically a revisit of the iPhone configuration utility that was mentioned earlier. Um, but Eric has been pulling all of the documented and undocumented configuration profile payload types from within every version of the operating system you could find and basically making a brand new graphical tool with uh, built-in support for trivially easy built-in support for doing encryption and signing of the profiles and all that kind of stuff. So if you don't want to go out all out with like an automated 
configuration management tool like uh, Chef, Chef or Puppet that's dynamically building these things for you. The profile creator tool, I'm really looking forward to the uh, the results of that one. It, it, the, the graphic, the interface on it is just fantastic. It basically has all the things that you mm. hate or, or, or are seeing missing from Apple's own like configurator two and oh, all okay. that kind of stuff. It's like, I know that you can do this setting, Apple. You're the one that created this setting. Why don't you have it in the interface? <laughs> Uh, he's he's putting it all in. It's it's yeah. really really cool. I'd recommend people go check it out. It's not Auto NBI. What is the other, his other claim to fame recently? Uh, Net NBI Creator. NBI Creator. Yes, yes, he's got a lot of cool. That tools. is the yeah. branding. It's the Creator branding. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, everything Creator. <laughs> he is the Creator. Yeah. So profiles are sort of. They always seem kind of weird because I think, like I've said before, like the more I look at them and try to use them, I, the less I feel like I really understand what's going on underneath. <laughs> because they, because Profile Manager was designed to be, like, you know, simplified. You click the settings you want, you download it, and you're done. Or you say push these settings to the devices, um, and it looks good when, at the scale at which Apple demos Profile Manager, it looks like. You know, it, it looks good for managing, you know, the one classroom and the one group of students or what have you. Where uh, everything is exactly but, the same on every device. <laughs> right, exactly. Like my environment seems to operate kind of halfway between the let the users treat it like it's their own machine, stick with the defaults as much as possible, barring any sort of, you know, enterprise whatever requirements you need to add, and then the the completely sort of locked down managed uh, iPad type environment. We're sort of operating somewhere in between. So at some point, we'll just have to, you know, we might end up just not not relying so much on doing all the extra work to sort of assimilate the settings. But it's hard to say. Well, and uh, it really depends. In the defense of that, though, that they are the technology itself is being tied into other mechanisms. Like, For sure, right. we're, we've been talking about deployment here with like configuration management tools, like Monkey, or just like com- command line. Well, whatever. Right, exactly. Like a, <laughs> yeah. a script that runs the profiles tool, or Monkey installs the profile, or a configuration management tool installs the profile. But like MDM and Dev. Like you can push over the air yeah. a configuration yeah. profile that's like built baked in, so it, it, they are the way of the future. Right. Uh, it, but but uh, yeah, no. for sure. Well, but what what's also funny, right, is that if you use Profile Manager or some other MDM tool, and you do need that ability to sort of nest different groups of settings in a more granular way, those tools will do it for you because they assimilate a profile dynamically. I assume that's how it works because. Either that, or there's some other part of the spec that allows them to do that that you can't do by just doing, you know, here's my local profile and sudo profiles apply this. Um, but even Apple's own profile manager, I think you can still, you know, take um, a group setting and then add a user specific profile that sort of manages the same thing, and it will just figure out the the it'll do the compositing part. <laughs> I think they I think that it still does that, but. It, when you're actually using it as an MDM. Yeah, I mean, I just installed uh, Puppet's CA on an iOS device yeah. to be able to have Safari trust going to uh, Puppet secured sites. And I was kind of like, this is <laughs> whatever <floats> weird. <laughs> this is weird. Uh, the, the fact that it installs like a profile, that it gives you the profile install screens, and then everything's hunky-dory. So I could just go ahead and 
trust anything. Which is like, uh, I'm not going to just name drop OS Query just to name drop OS Query just to name drop OS Query <laughs> again. But being able to audit the cert store on devices can't do that quite as easily with iOS because there just isn't, that isn't baked into a lot of MDMs. No. You can look at what's installed in the way of profiles, uh, but that that displays in the same interface. I'm kind of curious what my MDM thinks is installed on my iOS device now that I've added puppets to CA there. Anyway, that's a tangent. I'm so glad that you went long on that. <laughs> that was way off the rails. Because otherwise, I was just going to ask you about how much you like Amporter and supporting Adobe's uh, <laughs> updates. <laughs> Yep, because there's no, <laughs> yep. there's no flame in that fire, huh? I, it's, I think it's, it's past flame. It's no. just, it's just slowly burning ashes. <laughs> Which member so. of the Fantastic Four are you? What was that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mr. Lin, did you have any uh, um, follow-up and/or add-ons? I don't know. Uh, kind of in the short term here, I've been. Uh, if we're gonna follow up, uh, kind of cir- circling back around to the security thing. I've been really following the news a lot, trying to see the fallout with the uh, Apple FBI stuff as of late. Um, at what, when the FBI actually got the tool to do the devices, I'm waiting for someone to actually find out what it is that they're actually doing. Kind of waiting with bated breath, basically, because th- there's a lot of, oh, there's this guy over in London that's selling this uh, $70, 70-pound <laughs> device or whatever that can unlock it, but then you come to find out, Oh, it only works on iOS 7, and it's probably some bug that was fixed like three versions back or whatever. I really am interested in the internals of what it is they've actually done, because it doesn't seem to require necessarily pulling apart the devices. Uh, the turnaround time was extremely fast compared to what they were theorizing as a possible workaround for the security on the iPhone was that they'd have to like pull out a chip, duplicate the chip, insert the chip back, try to unlock it. If it blew out the code, then swap the chip out with one of the duplicated chips. Like the, the the turnaround time, once they contract with this company out of Israel or wherever it was, um, was really fast. So obviously there is some exploit or something. There's a, there's a, a key issue going on there that I'm hoping that the secure enclave uh, mechanisms that are in modern devices bypass. I was really cool. Really cool to see the iPhone SE come out with Touch ID. So it's got that now. Basically, like all the modern form factors of the iPhone now will have secure enclave. There's, there's not going to be not there. Right. To take it to that FBI case in, in specific, I think we know someone in this conversation who used to work in government IT. <laughs> and so when it comes to the patch level of these devices, I would assume they're just oh, like bleeding. <laughs> Practically, this person was on the beta, weren't they? Yeah, and and that's really the thing, is that I don't know whether it was ever made public about what version of iOS was actually on that What version of iOS? It may very well be iOS 7. (laughs) What it shipped with is a high possibility. Yeah. Because, oh, I don't want to install this now. Oh, there's a badge on it. Okay, whatever. There was was someone in my Twitter stream just a couple days ago that was talking about the fact that they got an iPad 4, I think it was, that they got from an Apple... Uh, location and it came with iOS 5 on it. And they immediately sold that to the people who <laughs> train people on jailbreaks for how much? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But but I, I'm, I'm kind of keeping my ear out, my eyes out for more news in that regard. It's really interesting to see the things that FBI had said in advance of 
getting this solution uh, that, oh, we, you know, this is for one situation. And now they have like a backlog of hundreds of law sure. uh, organizations, like groups coming to them saying, help me break into this phone, which is exactly what Apple was saying was going to happen. As soon as a tool came into existence, right. it would be, it would forever be used to, well, to break into phones. There was never going to be a one-time thing. Part of the claim was that this was so spectacular or so out of the ordinary slash unusual, only Apple could write, has to write, they have to, they have to write this software, otherwise we cannot get into the phone. There's no alternatives whatsoever. And turns out there was one. Well, and the scary part was, too, it was getting to the point they were saying that even if you don't have your engineers do it, we'll force you to turn over your source code and we'll do it. That just... That whole case got to such a like a nuclear level (laughs) to suddenly see it all fall apart like a house of cards because, oh, by the way, this company over here for how many? It was like $200,000, I think, was the invoice that finally came out. And now they have a a canned solution. Uh, (laughs) Anyways, yeah, that's that's what I've been uh, interested in as of late. And then uh, I think uh, outside of that, the news with the rename, rebranding, potential rebranding of uh os 10 to mac os uh, uh so uh this is too topical oh this sorry too- <laughs> <laughs> very interested in it because the new beta of what 10 11 5 just dropped and so mm-hmm. people are now looking more for the little bits of okay is it really going to be mac os and, and mac os.apple.com resolves and takes you to the os 10 uh product page and uh I'm uh, interested to see if and when the new uh, 10, uh, 12 comes out. Uh, will it be Mac OS and how much stuff will that break? <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> because, It'll be win- Windows 9, right? all these right? products. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. Because of all these products that are going to be looking like for the SW version or, or system profiler, like operating system name or something like that and are hard-coded to look for OS ten. I think how much new stuff is going to break? I think it'll still be 10, 12, but I think it'll there'll be just as many really terribly written shell scripts that have broken quoting that are going to parse it incorrectly or compare that. I mean, the worst was with 10, right, with Yosemite, because there was all these programs that would turn that into an integer and then actually do an integer comparison. Well, no, it was that they were turning it alph- alphabetical comparison and, and one came before Oracle <laughs> nine. Yeah, they weren't evaluating it as a number. OK, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. that that also but, uh, t- yeah. or doing or doing a decimal comparison. Right. Dot one. Yeah, yeah. But that, that that's kind of the stuff that's on my radar right now. Uh, but Oh, Uh-oh. <laughs> uh, can he invite himself back in? <laughs> okay. All right. This is the part of the show where we talk about Alistair. No. <laughs> yep. <laughs> America. America. Yeah. Yeah. Something, 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 FBI. something. FBI. Uh, <laughs> Uh, this has been the Frogger 45 minus commercial interruptions, by which I mean my internet dropping out. Uh, your hosts have been uh, myself, Alistair Banks, uh, in Washington, Mr. Lynn. <laughs> and in Montreal, where it is still snowing, right? Checks. 
Forward slash me space checks. Uh, yes, it is still snowing. Yes, it is still Montreal. Uh, thank you kindly for joining us. Thanks. Thank you. Have a good one. Let's do it again.